All right. So <laughs> I was totally trying to play you guys my intro, and uh, it just gave out on me. So I will have to rectify that at a later time. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys all. Um, let me just give my my own intro, if, if you guys are cool with that. So I am, of course, Jason Lyon, Mr. Merck of the Bearded Truth Show. You guys are here Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern-ish on Muddy Waters of Freedom, where we will always start a couple minutes late because technical difficulties or trying to get your your intro music to work right i have an amazing guest tonight one guy that i i fell in love with kind of similar to my last guest sean hickman um where i fell in love with him just the first couple times of talking to him because this guy is one of those guys that just is so relatable he can spread such a beautiful message and and then i found out he was a former police officer he worked for um the nypd there in the city so with a background in police uh in in being a police officer being able to talk about police reform is something that i've seen him do so many times and I knew the exact guests I wanted to have on. And, of course, those two things, when you combine them together, means that you have to get Joe Garcia from from uh, North Carolina to come on for this. So we're going to pl- bring him in in just a few moments. But first, we got to do a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, thank you to Matt and Spike uh, for giving me a platform here on Muddy Waters Media where we get to talk about my opinions, my views. And, of course, we get to cover all of politics and social issues one liberty at a time where we do that here every monday night at 8 p.m eastern so thank you for matt and spike thank you to every one of you coming in viewing this out sharing this out dropping some comments live if you're coming back watching the replay later dropping those comments because that's going to help the algorithm just the same let me know how your monday is going let me know what your big thing from the weekend was what was the most exciting part of your weekend drop that in the comments help out the algorithm help blow this show up uh in a good way but um Thank you uh, to each and every one of you. And, of course, thank you to the sponsors. To the sponsors. Jason's got sponsors on his show now. So, first of all, let's get into the the original, the OG of, of ads that you guys are unaccustomed to hearing whenever you guys hear Jack Casey in the World Green Series being spoken about, of course. Uh, you guys have never heard the ad like this before, except for here on the Mr. Merck of the Bearded Truth Show Monday nights. So the Royal Green Series by Jack Casey. It's a story of authoritarian and revolutionaries, a young man and woman seeking independence and meaning in a kingdom on the brink of civil war. Romance, espionage, action, and psychological drama. Elements of horror and mystery and spirituality as well. Dark fantasy with magical realism and libertarian overtones. Themes of forgiveness and redemption. Written by the author while undergoing his own journey to find liberty and answer deep questions in his own mind. So make sure you guys get over to royalgreen.com. Show Jack Casey some love. This man is one of the best authors I know he's a fantastic guy through and through. So go give this man some love. Share out the Royal Green. Give it to one of your status buddies. Give it to one of your libertarian friends. And um, I won't say like other podcasters. This is actually a good gift. Um, I've actually got a couple of people I'm sending the sending the books to. So I'm excited for that. Uh, the next uh, next advertiser I got to hit up is, of course, Fierce Luxury by Ashley. 
Fierce Luxury is a high-end bag and accessories consignment store based online. They carry the hottest brand like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and Hermes. Consign with them for 30% uh, for a 30% fee and 20% less than most consignment stores. Find them online at FierceLuxuryByAshley.com and on Facebook in their exclusive group, Fierce Luxury by Ashley. Check her out. Help her out. She's been doing an amazing thing where she's been helping out um, different campaigns, different ways of fundraising for different groups. Fantastic woman through and through. Plus, if you're trying to if you're trying to hook up your lady, you know you know she needs one of these bags. And last but not least, we got to talk about the greasy porcupines. We've all been there. We've we've waited too long to get our oil changes. We've had some issues. Um, we've needed a tune-up or some maintenance. And what better way than to do it through pure agorism? The idea that we can work with in unison with others to be able to, to achieve our common goals. Um, well, with Alex Flores, back in 2020 with the shuttering of the economy he witnessed an increasing number of motorists who were foregoing automotive repairs and maintenance because they just couldn't afford it even as things began to open back up for many people lack of reliable transportation due to foregone uh, maintenance and repairs has stood in the way of them being able to regain employment and earn a living so in april of 2020 greasy porcupines was established to help those in need to get their vehicles back on the road uh, but who couldn't afford those expensive shop prices? So Greasy Porcupines is a growing network of mechanics dedicated to getting motorists back on the road, paying for what they can, or trading or bartering. He's given oil changes for free, as well as given oil changes for $500, because there isn't a price there, because he is there to help out one another and be able to work this through. What a fantastic man Alex Flores is, so I gotta gotta give him as much support as I can. Um so he is currently servicing there in Arizona and looking to expand nationwide. But without further ado, we do got to go over and and Joe Garcia has been waiting patiently. I see him over there looking like he is ready to hop on this topic tonight. I am so incredibly excited. Police, police reform, criminal justice reform, prison reform. These are all under those big buckets of things that Jason just loves to talk about. And so we've got an amazing guest coming on tonight, Joe Garcia from North Carolina, or as I like to call it, Brent DeRitter, if he was in the chat, would already be yelling at me for this. Yankee Carolina, Joe Garcia, welcome in. How are you? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's not working. <laughs> did I fix it? I did not fix it. I did not fix it. Can you hear me at least? Uh, they can hear you. Hey, there we go. Yep, I got I got to slightly fix there it, but then we are right. good to go. There we go. Perfect. Awesome. Joe, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> good, man. How are you? <laughs> oh, you know, just the, the typical Muddy Waters uh, technical difficulties. But doing great other than that. So, I want to know... And the people, well, more importantly, the people want to know, because I've heard a little bit of this. I fell in love with your story. I love where you've come from. So take me from the beginning. How did you become, what What inspired you to become a law enforcement agent? And talk to me through your, through your career real quick, if you could. Sure. So, uh, you know, like most people growing up, uh, you know, we see a lot of positive portrayals of police on TV. Uh, I grew up in a, in a pretty decent neighborhood uh, where we really didn't see the cops much. 
uh, we didn't have much interaction with them. They were a middle-class working neighborhood. Um, and uh, as I got older, um, you know, my family still was living in the neighborhood I grew up in. And I, I just said, you know, look, this would be a good career choice. You know, most cops are out there doing good stuff. And, you know, all the stuff that you grow up listening to, right? You know, your parents, hey, uh, it, it, and even in school, uh, if you're in trouble, look for a cop. You know, uh, all the positive portrayals of movies, TV, everything yeah. else. So, uh, you know, I, I, that's the line of work I, I chose uh, and uh, ended up going into the New York City Police Academy back in 1994. Uh, started my career there, uh, went and worked as a patrol officer out on the streets in Brooklyn, New York uh, for, for a while. Eventually made my way up to uh, the detective squad in my precinct, uh, investigating, you know, robberies, burglaries, grand larceny cases and, yeah. and whatnot. Uh, and then I eventually moved up to the computer crime squad from the, to the uh, NYPD, worked in Manhattan uh, for the last seven and a half, eight years of my career. And, and that's where I finished out back in uh, 2014, retired from there. And then, and then I went into, uh, into banking, doing fraud investigations, essentially. Oof. And uh, so, but what ended up happening was uh, somewhere around, I think it was 2007, there was this... Uh, this guy on stage uh, at the the 2007 presidential debates in South Carolina, a guy named Ron Paul, hmm. um, who was up on stage with my former boss, Rudy Giuliani, and who started speaking about blowback when they when they were talking about the, the wars in the Middle East. And, and Dr. Paul started mentioning, you know, blowback. It's from our policies and our actions in the Middle East that are that are causing this. It's not because they hate us for our freedoms and all the stuff that we were told from the beginning, right? Yeah. Which I, I admit I I bought into that. Um I think we I think to, we all did. I think we all bought yeah. into that a little bit. I mean it's just it's just propagated through like every media, every every source that we get. And so we're just like, yeah, they they hate us because Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah, well for me, yeah, actually to go back a second before two thousand seven, uh when when 9-11 did happen, I, I was a police officer then when the attacks happened. I ended up losing two cousins who were civilians that worked in the North Tower. And, and after that, it was just, you know, I, I was really apolitical at that point and became a raging neocon right after that because it was, let's just bomb the crap out of the Middle East because, hey, you know what? They killed my family, so yeah. I just want to take them all out. And, and that's kind sorry of sorry to hear about you your know, cousins, but yes, thank you, thank you. And, and that's kind of where my political compass was at that point until 2007. And then here's this, you know, doctor from Texas talking about blowback and and the cost of our foreign policy in the Middle East, and and basically watching every other candidate on stage and even the moderator kind of chiding Dr. Paul for that. And he just stood firm on that. And yeah. that was kind of like my light bulb moment. And I started, you know, looking into a lot of videos and I, and I watched how uh, in every single interview that Dr. Paul did, his position never changed. And that was because he stood on principle. He wasn't trying to win points with somebody. He wasn't trying to curry favor. This was, these were his principles. These were his positions and, and he would stand pat on them. Yes. And, and that, really got me looking into libertarianism and, and that's kind of where my my path started it wasn't immediate it wasn't overnight it actually took years to to get where i am now but i i started that was where my path started basically. now with 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 this blowback thing um 
certainly a lot of us in the libertarian circles have been listening to either Ron Paul or listening to others talk about blowback. Was there ever a moment in your, in your career where you took that idea and you said, Hey, you know, there may be some blowback in the way that we're policing within our communities. Um, was there, was there ever that domestic idea of blowback as well? Yeah. I mean, for the, for the most part, uh, I had been out of being a uniform cop at that point. Uh, where I was on the street, I wasn't writing tickets or, or, you know, arresting people on the street. I was still, I was still investigating crimes and arresting people, just not at the, at the street level per se. And, um, you know, I, after some time, after seeing that debate and then really starting to think about blowback and how it applies to other things, uh, I really started thinking about how policing can have blowback uh, on communities and, and how that ends up becoming anger towards us in a sense, right? So, you know, you think about, like, I'll, I'll use the example of a seatbelt summons, right? Yeah. So when I was a young cop, it was, hey, you got to give that seatbelt summons uh, because you'll probably prevent somebody from, from, you know, getting into a bad accident and getting hurt or possibly killed, right? So that was the mentality that was, that was pushed. And you see all these ads on TV, you know, you know, click, click, you know, click your seatbelt or get a ticket. And then, you know, they just push the whole, uh, you know, seatbelt safety. Now, I'm not against seatbelt safety. I wear a seatbelt. I think everybody should. Uh, I've had plenty of friends that uh, I've actually had a friend that died because of not wearing a seatbelt. And I've had a few friends that have survived accidents because, because of seatbelts. So I'm a proponent. Yeah. But um, what I'm not a proponent of necessarily is anymore anyway, is giving out seatbelt summonses because you're not hurting anybody, right? There's, there's no crime there. It's just revenue generation. Either somebody's going to wear their seatbelt or they're not. You giving them a summons is not going to change that. In fact, I know plenty of people that won't put a seatbelt on until they see a police checkpoint. So you know, what good did it do? And they'll take it off right after. So what good did it really do then, <laughs> right? But, but uh, you know what? So here, here's where we get into the blowback part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the person that you just gave that summons to was uh, a single mom who was in between jobs. Maybe she's in a rush. Or maybe she already finished a second job and she's got to relieve the babysitter and get make her way home to yeah. see her kid. You know, uh, she just wasn't thinking. Uh, and didn't put a seatbelt on. Now you give her the seatbelt summons. I don't know what they cost nowadays. I think they used to be twenty five dollars a long time ago. They're probably up to fifty or or yeah, hundred now. I don't know. Yeah, they're like depending on the state, yeah. of course. But yeah. yeah. So now think about this, right? So you give this person a, a summons for a seatbelt. Something they weren't harming anybody. They didn't. They didn't do anything to anybody. They didn't commit a crime. They didn't hurt themselves. It was just a victimless. Yeah. Uh, event, right? It's a victimless event. And so now you give them this 25, 50, 75, whatever it is nowadays, summons. And let's just say now they're already working two jobs because they're a single parent. Or maybe they're not a single parent. Maybe they're just somebody who has a low paying job, right? Yeah. And they have just enough to make their, you know, their, make their bills. And now what happens is you give them the summons and they have to make a decision. Do I pay my rent or my mortgage uh, or my bills or do I feed my kids or do I pay the summons? And a lot of times the choice is to not pay the summons. Which and I think, what tends to happen. Yeah, go ahead. I, th I think that what this, what this really does is because we're talking about somebody who's not high in the economic scale. And this is where 
a small fine, a small fee, something that somebody in the middle class or certainly somebody in the upper class can, oh, here you go. Here's 25 bucks. Here's 50 bucks. You know, I, that's, I was going to blow that on on the golf course, you know, shooting 18 and get it from the, from the beer cart. You know, that's not a problem, but, but there are people out there that this destroys them. Um, I, I, I couldn't imagine. And and it's a really hard choice. And it's yeah. a choice at that point, right? I either do A or I do B. And I really can't do B right now, so I got to stick to doing A. Whatever yeah. the choice is, but, you know, whether it's somebody, whether it's a single person who's barely making ends meet, whether it's a single mom with a couple of kids that has to make a decision to feed her, whatever it is, like you said, low-income folks who, yeah. who that that 25 or $50 is a lot. It, I, it, I don't it, want... It's an impact. Yeah, I don't want to harp on, on seatbelt conversation for the entire time of course but you know i i've got a corner store literally you drive out of my driveway drive down to drive to the end of the street turn right turn right again so i'm behind my house there's a little corner store that i can go and grab you know when i was smoking cigarettes i can go get them i if i if i need a quick drink or like you know whatever it is i can drive there i'm 20 20 mile per hour zone 20 mile per hour zone 25 mile per hour zone i have almost been pulled over and did not have my seatbelt on for that drive is it unsafe sure am i likely to die there's a potential you know depending on how the impact is and everything else you know was i speeding was somebody else speeding you know there's a lot of things into it the idea that now i can't go get that pack of cigarettes or whatever i was doing because now i have to save that money for 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 that I, right. right with what you're saying nobody was being hurt by me not wearing a seatbelt was i was i making the best decision at that point no of course not I, you know i could have made a better decision we call could have but is that yeah. is that the right pursuance how is that going to affect my view of a police officer when i'm just merely running around the corner real quick and for me individually, right, I'm going to hop on social media and be like, look, look at these cops are out here just trying to make revenue because I'm trying to go in and run to the quick corner store and I got pulled over. Now I'm inflamed, I'm enraged, and I'm riling up other people. Suddenly what you have, and I, this is one of the things I really wanted to talk with you about um, because we, we've discussed this and, and I think that we're in a complete agreement, Um is that through some of these bad interactions, you have some people out there that use very inflammatory um, points and, and they're very argumentative, they're they're vilifying, and they're just a cab, right? All cops are bastards. This is this is their their thought through and through. And and so we've dehumanized them um, because people have had bad interactions over and over again. And and so once one person has a bad interaction, it gets dogpiled on with a bunch of other people. And suddenly it's every cop out there is just a bad person. Every cop out there is walking down the street trying to steal all of our money, trying to find out when your seatbelt was, was clicked, uh, you know, trying to find out are all your headlights working, are all your taillights working? trying to find a way of getting that that big grab or 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 worse um that we don't need to have that and so when we talk about policing reform um when we talk about criminal justice reform when we talk about these reforms right it's it's not to be pro or anti-police it's not to be pro or anti-community it's to be pro everybody it's to be pro society and and so I am not of the belief, and I and I certainly don't think that you are either. That we're anti-police when we talk about this stuff. There's there's a, a structure there. There's a reason for law enforcement, and it's to to help make our society better. 
and there's a side of community that community has to play its part in this as well and so we can we can try to talk about these things to make a better society make it to where we're not dogpiling and and just trying to use police officers as as the outlet of our anger and and everything else um so really long tangent i apologize for that but it's the 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 end of the day right we want to be able to have these good conversations of what what was the police doing why were they why were they taking the actions they did how was their training going how can we change this for a better outcome in the future and as you were talking about the seatbelt thing good intentioned bad outcome potential blowback right i mean you what what a lot of people have to understand right is not everybody was born a libertarian Right. You have the the few that were born into it. But other than that, most people should realize that most police officers went through the same K to 12 system and college system that most of us all went through. Right. Mm -hmm. It's no different. Most of us had parents that told us that the cops were, you know, were the good guys and, you know, the other people were the bad guys. And for the most part, movies and TV shows push police in a good light. And most police are good people. They really are. They, they're, they're well-intentioned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're really trying to be. But there is also a little bit of cognitive, uh, cognitive dissonance there, too. Yes. But the thing is, is that overall, the majority of police officers that are out there on the street really believe in the job that they're doing. Right. Again, now, whether they're looking at it, that a lot of them don't come to look at it like I have. But, you know, they're out there trying to they're trying to do the right thing, whether, you know, whether or not at the end of the day, they really are. It's a different story, you know, but they think that they're doing the right thing. Uh, You know, we could do our part with them and and with our communities of planting those seeds. Let's plant those seeds. Let's get those light bulbs turning. Let's get, let's get stuff moving. And, and and most libertarians have to understand that um, we're not going to have libertarian utopia tomorrow. There's not going to be a privatized police force tomorrow right abolishing the police is not going to happen anytime soon i'm 50 it is not going to happen if if i make it another 50 years it ain't happening then either okay so what's what's the best that we can do the best that we could do is try to reach out to cops and talk to them like people right and you know try to explain to them what they're doing it comes to enforcing victimless crimes and revenue generation and all this stuff because if we can if we can get that message through to them, maybe they stop enforcing certain things like like seatbelts or you know loose cigarettes or you know any any other of the you know hundreds if not thousands of of victimless crimes that are on the books, right? Yeah. Because the government policing is not going away. So you could scream a cab all you want. You could scream that all you want. You could talk about abolishing police. They're not going anywhere. What really needs to happen is, is that people need to, you know, put their money where their mouth is. They need to start talking to cops like they're human beings. And that's not to excuse cops that, that do awful things. Like, we should not be excusing Officer Chauvin out in Minnesota. That guy deserves everything he gets. You know yes. what I mean? Like, that's an awful human being. Sorry. You know, sorry for <laughs> sorry, my... Sorry, not my, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to my, you know, my friends who might be watching this, who, you know, my former colleagues. But sorry, Chauvin was a piece of garbage. There was no need for what he did. Sorry. Yeah. I don't yeah. care what you think about George Floyd. Forget about the fact, whatever his record was, whatever drugs he had in the system, it does not matter. It doesn't, that situation did not give him the authority to execute that guy on the street. Sorry. That's, yeah. that's what it is, right? 
But let's talk about what caused that situation to happen. It was, you know, him passing a counterfeit bill, right? It's almost like Eric, Eric Garner out in Staten Island, New York, Oof. right? Yep. Okay. So here's all I'm going to say about that whole thing is um, that cop that, that put the hold on him, his intention was not to kill Eric Garner. That's not what happened. Okay. His intention was to get Eric Garner under control because what happened? He was there to enforce a victimless crime of selling loose cigarettes. And why is that law on the books? Because somebody's not getting their money somewhere, yep. right? For taxes. And then what happens is, is that the cops have to answer out that call, right? Because they're made to answer out that call. And then when they go there and they tell this guy he's under arrest and he doesn't want to go, they're being told that they have to arrest him by supervisors. And when they go to put him under arrest and he resists, they're going to do what they can to put him in cuffs. And if you watch that video, as soon as they had him cuffed, they, they let off him. Like they didn't stay. It wasn't like a Derek Chauvin uh, situation where, you know, they were kneeling on his neck or, or they were, they were choking him out for, you know, eight minutes before he expired. That's not yeah. what happened there. Watch that video again. And you'll see that officer Pantaleo like lets him go as soon as they get him cuffed. Okay. But it was, so, yep. but the, the point is, is that it's the crap law that, 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 you know, that victimless crime law of selling loose cigarettes that brought the cops there in the first place. Yeah. So and if this, we can this... convince, yeah, if we can convince them to not enforce those things from the ground up, you know what I mean? Talk to sheriffs, talk to chiefs, talk to captains and get yes. them to not send their guys out for stuff like that. You know, that avoids so many like unnecessary interactions between police and the public. This, yeah, so that brings up a great point, right? And and I've spoken about this a couple times already, but um, it's we need to have a legislative change, but at the same time, we need to have those conversations with law enforcement. And and ter- Tom Caller, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, has said uh, he's from Minnesota, but he said I've been speaking with local law when regarding the stigma you're speaking of, and this was of course the the stigma that we were talking about earlier. And and I was actually wanted to bring up. Uh, we had a special election here in South Carolina. Our former uh, sheriff of our county got arrested for taking a secretary on state funds and going off to have fun with her, uh, leaving his wife and kids here. Uh, so he's sitting in jail. So we had to have a, a, a new sheriff get elected. And so during the during the campaign um, for electing a new sheriff, I sat down with many of the the different candidates and it was to ask them questions. Hey, look, you know, I want to know what are your thoughts on, on, um, you know, I, I sat down with one and, and there's a group of us and we were, we were like, Hey, what are your thoughts on, um, who oh, unmarked police cars being used for traffic violations? It's like, I don't, I don't see a problem in that. Now, this is a guy that I've had many conversations with. He leans libertarian on many things, but he had never had that question posed to him. And so it's like, well, are you doing it for revenue? Are you doing this for safety? What are you doing this for? Why does that car need to be unmarked? Um, because we understand, you know, of course, like the 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 flow of traffic will change if you have a marked car versus an unmarked car. Um, but if you're just out there just to try to get people, is this actually stopping this or is this increasing the stigma that you guys are out there for a revenue scheme? And and by just planting these seeds with them, Kaler, thank you. Sorry. Sorry about that, Tom. Um, just planting these seeds can have those light bulbs turn on, can have those 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 trees take root and and so 
I encourage each and every one of you guys to get engaged, get involved, have these discussions with your local law lawmakers, have these discussions with your local law enforcement. And, and just because it's on the books doesn't mean that it needs to be exercised. And that's the, the angle you take with them. But just because it's on the books doesn't mean that it's right. It's the angle you take with your legislators. Um, and, and so we will of course continue to have these conversations. Um, but yeah, no, it's speaking of, this was something that I was really excited about talking about you with. Um, I, I hate to, I hate to, to swing far left on this. I don't know if that's the right swinging further away than where we were. Um, we were discussing yesterday and there was a, a reference that you had made that I was unaware of, but a local municipality had passed. Let me pull up the actual word. Um, a shot spotter. One of our cities had just got a shot spotter and in, installed. And I was unfamiliar with that. Um, can you break that down for us real quick? I want to learn about yeah. this. So uh, shot spotters are, it's, it's a, uh, like a gunshot detection system. Uh, that can be installed, uh, and it, it'll. I, I when I was on the job, we didn't have them in our precinct at the time. These came out sort of afterwards. Mm -hmm. But uh, from what I'm to understand about them is that uh, I guess they're, they're systems, microphones, or whatnot that are installed, and supposedly uh, they're able to distinguish. Um, gunshot sounds versus other sounds uh and, and then direct officers to a location okay um but uh from what i'm also to understand uh, i haven't researched it deeply but uh, i know that there have been some cases where arrests were made based off of uh shot spotter uh um you know, be sending folks, uh, sending the cops out to a location and uh, arresting somebody who, who wasn't necessarily involved. Uh, I got to be honest, I haven't uh, yeah. really uh, uh, researched it deeply, but, um, you know, I do know that it's, uh, from what I've heard, it's really not that reliable uh, at the end of the day. That's kind of what I was thinking was like, as you were describing this is I'm going to, I've got to Google this while we talk, but um, it seems like it's in its infancy stages. And so implementing this is kind of putting your entire populace, whatever size of municipality and as a guinea pig for this. Um, and that's kind of scary um, to, to think that, we're just going to have this be created. This was founded in 1996. Shot spotter was, um, stock price of $36 right now. Um, in case of anyone's out there. <laughs> um, but it, the, it, so if it's in its infancy stages, right. And so it's only been around for what, 25 years. Um, and you're, you're going to put this in there and you're going to have, as, as you said, you know, you believe that it was like a faulty arrest of somebody being in a, in an area. And so we got a shot here. You're getting arrested like that. Yes, absolutely. This is, it's something that I definitely want to dig more deep into, um, because it's an interesting concept. Um, right. I would love and to the see thing how is, that would work. That, Go ahead. The, the other thing is, is that I think they, they tend to get installed in low low income areas also like you're not gonna 
you know, you, you're not going to find that in a rich area, let's be honest. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it leads one to, you know, it leads one to believe that, uh, you know, it's, it's placed there for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, um, I think and, that there's there, um, there may be some cause for like the the economic scale of like you know where where more crime happens. Uh, when we talk about policing, right? Um, from what I've been able to gather through research and everything else, is that you kind of have more policing in lower crime or in higher crime areas, which happens to be in a lower economic area, and so it makes sense as to why they would do that. I would be interested to see how a, a spot shot or shot spotter there we go uh shot spotter would work in in an area like chicago um where we know that there's plenty of of rounds being fired off each and every weekend how accurate would it be and and of course would it result in in lives being saved um i think that you know as as we've kind of talked about the reliability there it 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 would be interesting to do as a check mark, like as a test. I don't think that I would want to see it actually be utilized as as a piece of evidence um, in it. In a right, and that's sense. the problem. It's going to end up being used as evidence, right? Yeah. Because part of it is to uh, uh, they set up numerous microphones in a however many square mile area, whether it's one or multiple square miles, uh, and then what you get on that is they try to triangulate where the shot noises are coming from. And I think one of the problems is, uh, I think there was a report out of Chicago, actually, as a matter of fact, without Googling it, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, where uh, um, I think there was more uh, f- uh, uh, false positives than anything. So, you know, is it really doing anything? And and Blake McDaniel from the chat said, is this not what the David Chipman had something to do with creating? And David Chipman, on his... on his LinkedIn from uh, August of 2013 to February 2016, he was the senior vice president of public safety solutions and shot spotter. There you go. And we all know, uh, we all know about David Chipman. Yeah. He's not head of the ATF right now. Yes. Thankfully he is. He couldn't (laughs) even make it in, but Blake, thank you so much for that comment. Yes. Absolutely, he was engaged and involved with that. Um, just showing you, ATF is all on board with this, right along with the NRA, likely. Um, I think it's another. Day. That's another one of those situations where it sounds good, right? It sounds like it's something that's good, but it's really not. Yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds it's good intentions, you know, but the the road to hell is paved with a lot of those. So. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, Spike mentors. Yeah, yeah, no. So it, it, it's it's incredibly interesting to find like how these these things are going about. And so you said that this was happening in a city there in North Carolina. Um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that. I'll I'll give you guys some updates through the Muddy Waters page uh, in the futures because um, I, I I'm incredibly interested about like the reliability and the the trustworthiness of this product as i said but i don't i've realized i swung as far away from the conversation of like actual policing reform and or the policing discussion um we talked a little bit but about that but you ahead. know what though but the thing is see that's a technology that if it's flawed it's going to create unnecessary interactions with the public yes right so that it's just it's part of, believe it or not it is part of the discussion yeah. It's just that it's not it's not police officers directly 
that are that are creating the um, the interactions with the public, but it's technology employed by by the department that's causing that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely. still part. It's all part of that. Oh, definitely, definitely. I <laughs> just thinking like individuals of like how we're interacting and like the stigma, and then we go, and then this device that sees it, hears it, sends it, ships it, and yeah. So, um, no, I I definitely am excited to to follow up on that on on that part of the discussion. So we talked a little bit about blowback and kind of like the perspective of how how um things are are changing and we talked a lot about victimist crimes we talked about seatbelt laws we talked about loose cigarettes and not paying your taxes um on them when you sell them and 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 everything else um what would you say is like in in your time whether as a police officer or outside since since having those um those breakthrough moments in in 2007 um what would you say are like the biggest things that you would call for the citizens to do um, in order to help inspire some change? Or what would you say is like, what would be the best way to turn on those light bulbs for law enforcement in order to, to kind of see it through a different lens? I would say as far as the citizens go, um, just like I mentioned earlier, you, you, again, I'm not saying not to hold police officers accountable, but there are a lot of police officers that are out there every day trying to do the right thing, that they believe they are doing the right thing. Again, you know, we were all propagandized as we were growing up through the through the public education system and by our parents, right? Because they, they taught us these things. Look for the cops when you're, you know, if you're lost or you're in trouble, go look for the cops, right? Nowadays, most people wouldn't tell their kids that, but for a long time, that's how it was. And there are still parents that do that. I, I live in a neighborhood here where they they almost worship the cops where I live. Because it's a small department, they they do they do a lot of positive stuff, but you know most of the negative stuff that they see out of the uh, um, the negative interactions that they're seeing is with a lot of drug dealers or folks doing robberies and stuff like that. And a lot of people here just aren't really big proponents of drugs. So you know that's you know that that's where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is is just don't you know talk to them first of all talk to them like they're human beings, right? So I'll go this way. How many how many of us have friends or family that were in the military, right? Or that yeah. were in the military, yeah. okay? If, if you weren't in the military yourself and you were trying to uh, maybe talk somebody out of staying in the military a long time if they had gone in or trying to keep them from going in in the first place, like how would you approach that? Would you tell them that they're pieces of garbage for wanting to be soldiers or sailors or marines or or tell them that oh you served over in afghanistan oh well you're just a baby killer and all this other stuff how would you get them to 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 come to to where we're at right you wouldn't do all those things you would just say like hey man do you realize that you're over there because of all these bad policies that the government put us in all that you know let's go back to 1953 in iran uh with with the coup and then let's move that up to everything that happened around about when the, uh, the Marxist communists took over in Afghanistan. And then here comes Osama bin Laden. And we start backing him to fight the Russians. And you, you go through that whole thing. Um, you should take the same approach. If you're trying to speak to cops, like think, co- come at it from, Hey, maybe they just, maybe they just think that what they're doing is right. And yeah. you need to just explain to them, like, like I said, you know, explain how does, how does a seatbelt turn into a woman losing her job? 
you know, a single mom who's trying to take care of her kids. You know, here you go. You gave out the summons. She couldn't afford to pay it. She had to make a choice, pay that summons or feed her kids. She didn't do that. Some interest paid up, uh, built up on the summons after a while. Uh, there's a bench warrant out for her and they suspend her license. Now, the next time she gets stopped on the road while she's trying to work to feed her kids, you, you know, you end up picking her up and you end up arresting her because now her license is suspended. Just because somebody's license is suspended doesn't mean that they forgot how to drive. Essentially, what they're doing is they're saying you just didn't pay this fine for yep. a victimless crime back at step one, right? Now, she not only has to spend time away from her kids in jail, but she might lose one of her jobs, if not both, yeah. because she's been arrested, right? Was she a criminal? Was she was she somebody who was robbing a purse or someone's home or who was the arson? victim in the original thing? Exactly, and, yeah. and so. You know, from point A to point Z in this whole thing, you know, where is it that, you know, you did a good thing? Like, what, you know, where is it that you saved somebody? Yeah. How could you, you know, have made a positive impact? Right. And go go from it from that perspective. Uh, and, and as far as the, you know, if there are any police officers or, or whatnot that are watching this, try to understand why people are angry with you, you know, uh, most of us end up, you know, in, in our time in uniform, we end up dealing with people on their worst day. And a lot of times we're the ones causing the worst day. Or you happen to be there and you're trying to console them on their worst day. You know, there have been plenty of times I've I've had to go to scenes where, you know, people's family members died or whatnot, and you're trying to console them. And that's a bad day for them. You might be doing, you might be trying to do something positive, but that's a bad day for them. Yeah. And any anything that you do wrong during that interaction can cause them to dislike you. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, um, I think that that's you know. an excellent point. And I want to highlight that real quick, that you're not going to have an interaction with the police officer, especially if you're the one calling them for a circumstance. You're not calling them on a good day. You're not like I've had a, such a great, fantastic day, like things. Birds are chirping. Everything is going my way right now. And so I need to have these interactions with police officers. Um, and, and so I, I want to make a call to all of us in the audience who aren't police officers, who may not have family members that are police officers. I, I, I'm fortunate. I had, um, a couple family members that were police officers, um, couple in the military and everything else. So a lot of these topics of, of specifics, uh, I've had, but it's understand that when we have these negative perceptions that are being portrayed from others that they were they potentially were having a bad day before or because of this officer they were having a bad day and and so we have to we have to understand that as your emotions go up as as you become more emotional with that circumstance maybe just maybe there's a little bit of an exaggeration that's happening there as well and so kind of rounding all this together if we could just humanize one another if we can realize that the man behind the badge is a human if we can realize that the the the, the person that gets pulled over for a seatbelt violation is a person if we can just humanize each other if we can if we can come into these conversations thinking that the other side is there with the best with good faith discussions and with the best intentions we can actually move common ground and we can find common ground and we can move the middle ground and we can we can make things better if that makes sense yeah i mean you know people got to realize that you know cops aren't made in a laboratory they're us right 
we are, you know, it's, it's the population that makes this up. And yes, police officers should be held to a higher standard. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, even, even my, my colleagues in law enforcement, you should be held to a higher standard. You have the ability not only to take away somebody's freedom, but to take away somebody's life. Okay. So you should be held to a higher standard. Sorry. Yeah. No. But, and, and that's, you know, that's, yeah. No, but like I said, just people need the, but the civilians need to realize is like I said, for for all of that police are still human beings and they still have the same faults that we all have no matter you know no matter how how they try to act at the end of the day they they can have a bad day just like everybody else you could lose a child you could uh have gotten into an accident you could lost one of your parents um you know your house could have went on fire these things have all happened uh you know during Hurricane Sandy, I had one of my partners like lost his house. House got flooded out in Staten Island, New York. You know, th- those are things that happen. Yeah. You know, he, he almost he almost lost his family in that. They actually had to come out and rescue him. He had to run up to the second floor of his house and get rescued. You know, so you know we have bad days too. Keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's uh, you made the point of like having a higher standard for police officers and kind of their conduct. And I don't want this to be a gotcha question because we didn't talk about this before, but qualified immunity. Is it? Yeah. It's one of those things where it's, it's in place for a reason, but it's also been abused a little bit too. Um. Because what you don't real what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, I mean, the lawsuits that can, the complaints and the lawsuits that can come up just from regular interactions, even if the police officer did everything from A to Z perfectly, mm-hmm. there are people who are still going to sue the department, and, you know, um, I don't know if there's a different system that can be put in place for that, that that's workable. Uh, I haven't really sat down and thought much about it. Yeah. Uh, probably something I should do, you know, as, as you know, as far from a messaging standpoint, but um, if people just understood um, all of the complaints and, and lawsuits that come out for, for things that shouldn't even be there in the first place yeah. and that the officer would have to personally take on. And you also have to realize that um, with qualified immunity, there's lots of things that, um, that don't get stopped by qualified immunity, because once they reach a certain point, there's already been, you know, uh, uh, case law on it and, you know, and, and they can go forward with it and qualified immunity doesn't protect the officer. Yeah. But, um, it's a fine line because what'll happen is, and I know that there's a lot of people that'll probably say, Oh, great. That's awesome. Uh, if you get rid of qualified immunity, you're not going to really find a lot of people to take that job. Right. And, I, and again, I know that it sounds great uh, in the idea phase like let's yeah. get rid of public policing but you still would have to handle that in a private policing situation like how does a company deal with hundreds upon hundreds of lawsuits that are coming in for you know a private policing company how do they deal with that um even when the officer has done the right thing from a to z how do how do you keep your company from from being buried in lawsuits yeah, no, uh, and, I, you know, I don't. I, I really don't know what the answer is to that. To be honest with you, it's it's a great question, and and I'm glad that I was able to ask you this. Um, I've actually got a, but if if it's if it's okay, I'm gonna plug. So October 11th, 8 p.m. Eastern here on 
by Mr. Mark of the Beard of Truth, I will actually be diving into uh, qualified immunity that night. Uh, so I'm excited for that conversation. I think that everyone in attendance knows this guy that's that's going to be doing it. Um, many people love him. Um, but you guys will have to stay tuned for that one. But yes, no, I, I completely agree with the idea that it, it's a it's a huge struggle there right um to give if anyone is unfamiliar with what qualified immunity is right this was a precedent that was created um basically by the supreme court that protects um government officials or government workers including police officers from civil lawsuits um, based on certain different criteria and and so um by not having those lawsuits come through right um many people have viewed these as frivolous and and you know as 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 joe was talking about it you can have a great abundance of them come just pouring through and you're going to flood the system you're going to be holding all of these you're going to be tying up all these officers it's it's incredibly difficult to navigate and so there has to be kind of a structure there there has to be some way that we can kind of uh, in my opinion right in my opinion, we want to be able to to allow for people to have the ability to redress their grievances in accordance with the First Amendment. But we also don't want to make it to where we've lost the capacity for any kind of enforcement on that front as well. And so there is there is a ground that we have to kind of navigate through and, and work through. I hope that this is coming through as articulate as I'm thinking it does. But <laughs> it means that there as as we've discussed in previous shows um i think it was uh with Dwayne lester there are no solutions only trade-offs what is the trade-off what is the right trade-off for society and that's why these conversations are so incredibly important so i, I didn't want to get you with a gotcha question but i oh, i, I wanted all. to make sure i i i asked that i would feel you know, terrible if i did but uh, you know yeah but you know people just need to realize that um you know coming from a big city police department right and i'm sure that this will happen in la i'm sure that this happens in chicago and um, uh, Detroit, uh, you know, uh, Miami, where not only the the system for people to file civil suits against cops is abused, so is the like the civilian complaint review board system is the same thing. Like you could be, you know, on point the whole time, and people will just make civilian complaints about you, and it's... you know that's a, that's abused also. It yeah. just doesn't cost you a dime, you know. As as far as uh, an officer goes, um, it it doesn't cost you a dime to have that uh, that complaint come against you. But it takes an officer off the street for a day. Uh, it could potentially put a mark on their up. record. Yeah. Uh, because it's not a uh, typically it's not a police officer, a detective, or police supervisor that's interviewing you for these. A lot of times, it's college kids. At least that was my experience when I was in New York City. A lot of these people were like straight out of college like barely none of them had you know any sort of street smarts at all uh not that that makes them bad people but a lot of them you know came in uh not liking cops to begin with believe it or not and and they a lot of them had a bias yeah uh, oh yeah and, and you know but that system gets abused too and what what ends up happening is is you know like anything else when something gets abused it's almost like the whole cry wolf situation right you know it's we, difficult we shouldn't it's abuse di- these systems it's incredibly difficult to find the right accountability system for a system that clearly, right? We, we agree that there needs to be accountability, right? Bad cops need to be reprimanded. Good cops need to be rewarded. And, and how do we implement these things? And, and so this is just one of the, one of those big things that, that fills into this conversation. Um, I, oh, 
Yes, I could talk about this for days. I uh, because you're right, right? When people come in with when we look at jurors, right? When 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 they're looking to to fill out their jury, right? You want to find people that are unfamiliar with with everybody involved with the case. You want to find people that don't have a bias one way or the other that are going to be able to come to their conclusion just through the facts of the case. Here's what the law is, here's what the the facts of the case. How do you how do you feel this person is? Are they innocent or guilty? Here are the charges. Right. That's that's the way a jury goes. And when you talk about the criminal, um, the sorry, the 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 civilian, uh, the what is it? Review board. Is that right. the correct term? Yeah. Yep. So the civilian review board. Right. So what this is, is this is a panel of of community members who get to sit down and they basically get to review certain instances that get brought before them and they get to figure out is this officer or was this interaction was this aligned with or was this not aligned with with principles with the policy with the law etc etc and so they in some cases they they have teeth where they can they could really you know mess up somebody's career or in other cases they can just merely file uh, recommendations to the chief of police or the sheriff or whoever's in charge of that municipality um and and so you 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 spoke about there are those people that have those biases and and it's not just biases for or against or that that's what it was right it's not just biases against uh, you're going to have people on there regardless of a police officer and i think we've all seen seen those people regardless of what a police officer does because he has the badge he's justified in it and it's like that's that's wrong that's completely wrong um as well as the person that says he has a badge so he's he's wrong he's like no no stop that we need to actually look at this we need to have a, a a level head and reason and rationale as to how we come to the conclusions we do and and so finding those those proper system levers of of accountability i think is is where where we're stuck <laughs> yeah and, and there are um at least that as the case in new york was and, and i'm i'm going to assume i know i shouldn't but a lot of big cities probably employ people to be on a civilian complaint review board. So it's not just random citizens being called in to look at a case. It's actually people who are employed by their respective city. Oh, wow. That's their job. That's their full-time job. Hmm. So that that's the thing too you got to keep in mind is that it's not always just, oh, we'll we'll, you know what, we'll put a notice out to a bunch of people, whoever's interested in doing this review session, they'll come in and we'll cycle them out. It there are, you know, like I said, in New York, People were on a payroll for the city and they were brought in to specifically, you know, be the reviewers for these cases. Hmm. That's that's really interesting. I wonder I I got to learn more about those civilian review boards because I would I'd be interested to find out, like, how what their pool of people is that they have on these things. How many are being utilized? Uh, are they trying to use them for specific areas of cases right Uh, this person's like one of our go-to's for like drug related cases this is our go-to for this you know things like that if they make specialists if you will um i i i'm inclined so in having conversations with with some of the sheriff candidates we were talking about this very topic and and what a good civilian review board does and and how it functions right and and of course you want the review side you want them to be able to review how much teeth do you want them to have because you're afraid of those biases coming out and and having good cops be reprimanded or having bad cops be rewarded um 
that's that's kind of been the sticking point for a lot of people if you give them no authority then people just say it's no there's no reason for it if you give them too much authority you can destroy lives either way it's 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 yeah it's amazing (laughs) we've got to figure out something this is this is why like i i love like having these conversations because there's never a time in which we have conversations around any any kind of a, a of an experience, right? Your your lived experience as being a police officer, your breakthrough moment, and your perspective on on how policing is done and and everything else. Um, I'm learning so much through these conversations, and we have such big world questions, and we we can we can throw in our trade off. Um, but it, I'm hoping that this is turning the gears for all the people in the audience as well, um, so that we can maybe you can be smarter than both Joe and I combined and come up with the, with the perfect trade off that that is minimizes the the losses and and a huge benefit to society, so we can have that accountability and we can see the community and the police work together. I think that that you'd spoken about your your former. Um, I think you called him your former boss, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was the mayor uh, of New York City when I uh, when I first came on the police department. He had his terms there. Uh, his term ended after nine eleven. And he uh, had so. he had a different policing practice than than what a lot of law enforcement or mayors um, had. And I, I don't know if he if you recall it right off, um, but it was more of yeah, a community it was, policing. It, Right? Yeah, uh, basically during, uh, and I think this has been adopted by a lot of, uh, especially big city departments, is that whole broken windows policing theory. You know, if you take care of the smaller things, the big things take care of themselves. So if you're writing a double parking, so you have cars that are double parked on an avenue in a busy city street, right? Uh, if you allow them to stay there, you can potentially uh, have accidents get caused by it because people are going around uh, uh, or it could be somebody that's the wheelman for a, a robbery or something like that. And by giving that summons, uh, you might not stop the robbery per se, but if it happens, at least if that summons has been given, there's a record um, that, you know, that that summons is given and they can go back and look and, and say, Oh, okay. Uh, around that area at this time, there were, you know, X amount of summons is written uh, and they pull all the summonses out and then they go, okay, well, here are the cars that were on that particular street when that robbery happened. You know, the, you know, the son of sand killer, that's how they caught him. Right. Mm-mm. They caught him by a parking ticket. That was actually my old precinct that I worked in. Well, before, obviously before I got there. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's how they caught him. They caught him on a parking ticket. So that, you know, <laughs> that mentality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, it, essentially that was the mentality like if you take care of small things um the big things will take care of themselves uh and and, but now what does that generate that just generates more interaction between the police and the public that don't necessarily need to be there yeah you know but every you know however many thousands of summonses that are written out there on a daily basis uh, in, in whatever city you're in uh, or hundreds of uh, you know hundreds of summonses. How many of them are really catching anybody? You know, doing anything? They're just, How much of they're just revenue? generating revenue. Yeah, that's it. It's just ge- generating revenue. Mm. Um, so 
But yeah, that that was, you know, back in New York prior to 1993, 94, you had, I mean, I grew up in New York City. If you watch um, any, any movie like The Warriors, The Bad Lieutenant, uh, uh, The French Connection, look, look at some of those old movies. That's what New York City really looked like. That wasn't done up for the movies. That's what New York City looked like back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, early 90s. You know, uh, the, the Bronx was burning. Uh, there's actually a... Um, uh what the get down i think it was that's on netflix it was uh how how kind of like rap got started in the bronx new Mm -hmm. york and and you watch that show and and how the building a lot of the buildings were like destroyed and on fire and there was like smoke pouring out of the you know where the the building's uh foundation was and stuff like that that's what the bronx really looked like back in that time back in the 80s and all that wow uh and, and so you know uh um when you when you have the mentality that oh if we could arrest or summons the people writing graffiti if we can um, get rid of the squeegee men that were on another big thing back in the day was you know you'd pull up to a stoplight in some oh, parts yeah. of the city and a squeegee guy would come out and start you know squeegeeing your window with with a bottle of dirty water um, you know so the mentality was we got to get these people off the street we got to get rid of the homeless we got to get them off the street. It's making the city look bad and, and so on and so on and so on. Um, but at the end of the day, what that ended up creating was a statistical nightmare for precinct commanders, because now as they fight these things and they're fighting crime, they started keeping statistics of these things. And now the, the precinct commanders are fighting last year's statistics against this year's statistics oh, and they're no. always being compared oh yeah, yeah. Metrics. so yeah so there's there's all these metrics right so they used to have something in new york called uh traffic stat uh and essentially what that was is they they would look at all of the the moving violations that were issued uh red lights speeders uh stop signs you know name name it you know and then it would be well this you know this week last year you had X amount of, you know, red light summons is that your, your precinct are written. Why is it that you only have this many now? It's a percentage change of this. And then, you know, and that changes things too. It's like, so I think you just answered uh, a question that people in law enforcement typically don't like to answer, but a lot of people have those questions and the, the age old question of you guys got a quota, don't you? Well, we don't have a quota, but well yeah they they don't (laughs) they don't have a quota right um but there is a quota i don't care what anybody tells you there is you gotta Um, hit your metrics you gotta hit those metrics and 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 the thing is is that uh a lot of that uh, nobody will want to come out and say this but a lot of times like um let's just say you're a little short on your performance um especially if it's on a consistent basis Maybe you need to leave early one day because you have something to do. Maybe you want to leave early because you're going to a concert or you're meeting some friends for dinner. Um, your shift commander, you know, could basically turn around and say, uh, yeah, not today. Sorry. And you could have plenty of cops working and you leaving wouldn't hurt the shift at all, mm-hmm. um, especially in a big city, you know, where you have, you know, 20 you know people or so working on a shift, maybe more. Um, yeah, that'll be held against you. Uh, maybe you want to go to meal and your, your lieutenant or your sergeant doesn't let you go to meal because you've been falling under performance. 
So you have to eat out in your car. Mm. You know, um, mm. I've had these things happen to me, but I didn't care. So that's just me. Yeah. So. No, it, it, I probably be in that. I, I say that. I think that I would be in that same same boat of. Okay, I'm okay with yeah. that. Okay, I, you know how many times I've eaten in my car? I don't care. Doesn't yeah. matter to me. I do I it still. Like I'm, it's not even a punishment. I'm yeah. just like, no, I'm on the go. Let's go. So, uh, yeah. So that that the age old quota question. I I'm so glad that that you're able to to talk about that because it's it is one of those things that everyone feels like there is. And, and at the end of the month or at the certain time of a month, there's always a little bit more of a police presence on the neighborhoods or not in the neighborhoods, but on like a busy streets and everything else. And it's just like, Oh no, it's not a quota guys, but it's, yeah, it's, it's looking at the metrics of last year. It's looking at the metrics of, of how you've been doing. It's looking at your own personal metrics of, of your personal, um, performance and everything else and of course everybody wants to go out for for their friend's birthday dinner on a friday night so when right. you gotta get well, jacked the, up guys the, the question that needs to be asked is okay so you've gotten all these summonses what has that done to protect the public what has it really done yeah and don't tell me stop accidents because it doesn't yeah but it's definitely or stop reckless driving it doesn't it puts us back into that perspective that we were talking about earlier of now what do these people think of law enforcement? Well, you got this this officer Jim Bob over here who's given 1,001 seatbelt tickets. He's given uh, 250 uh, broken taillight tickets. He's like, sure, but he's helping in some way. But he's also I, I could tell you, <laughs> I could tell you that there were times when I was young in my career uh, that I would go out and do traffic enforcement. And there was an intersection. If you put me out there, I could have written summonses every day, all day long for people running red lights, uh, le- legitimately running red lights, even with the marked, even if they knew that a marked police car was going to be out there, I'd still catch people every single time, every single time. So even just being out there doesn't stop people. It doesn't. No. no. I've got I've got a couple couple cop points along my way to work. I'm like, there's gonna be a cop up there. Oh hey, there's a cop there. I'm still gonna go 79 in this 55. I'm still gonna go 79, just right along with the rest of the traffic, and we're just gonna flow on. One day he's gonna pull over. He's gonna pull somebody over, and 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 I'm gonna give you the floor here in a second so we can wrap things up. But you know, when he pulls somebody over, this is also something else that, that I would love to get your idea on. But when he pulls over somebody who is going with the flow of traffic and pulls them over, he's creating not only an unsafe circumstance because now they're off on the side of the road, but also causing a change in the flow of traffic could also be a safety hazard because now everyone else is slamming on their brakes because you've got flashing blue lights. Have have you been able to bear witness to this, or have heard of like actual incidents happening because uh, because law enforcement is doing law enforcement? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Um, I was never somebody who wrote like speeding summonses. So okay, uh, but I I have seen you know people traveling on a highway, and uh, a lot of mostly has been down here in the south since I moved down here, but. Uh, it's it's a pack of cars moving and it just so happens 
that the trooper goes after the the slowest of the pack, you know, and it's just kind of like, why, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I can understand if everybody's doing, you know, the speed limit slightly over and here comes this one dude blowing through at 80, you know, 90 miles an hour. Okay. I get it. You know, but you grab the slowest, you know, you you have a, a, a cluster of people in three lanes and you just so happen to grab the slowest one. Like that's not cool, dude. Yeah. yeah, that's just not cool. Yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to see like which one of these people are you going to pick out to go. All of you guys need to stop because all the ones that don't get stopped, they're not stopping. They're going to and guess what? They're going to continue to speed, whether it's that day or the next day or the next day or the next day. So you haven't stopped anything. No, you haven't. And <laughs> I think that. I think that one of the things that we have to learn about like road driving, right? I know people in Massachusetts are massholes. I know that they're massholes. It doesn't matter if there's law enforcement on the side of the road. doesn't matter if they got a speeding ticket last week. They're going to be a masshole uh, because that's, that's who they are. That's the culture. If you drive in Massachusetts, you, you suck at driving and I hate you, but not, not every one of you. If you guys are Muddy Waters fan, we love you. But, um, <laughs> But there's there is that culture there, and so no amount of law enforcement there is actually going to change it. But what you will change is the perception that you that law enforcement has, and I think that that's one of the biggest disservices that they can be doing. Um, and and I've I've spoken about the civil asset forfeiture thing here in South Carolina. We have a county where we have a sheriff that was actually was deputizing everybody across the state to come into his county and just pull people over along the highway. And it's just like, nobody wants to drive on that highway because civil asset forfeiture, speeding tickets, et cetera. It's just like, nobody wants to be there. So they're going to speed on the back roads. They're going to carry their $20 in cash or whatever that would have been taken. They're going to take that on the back roads. And, and so it's, I feel like the over-policing idea and and certainly the over is is a subjective line only is to the detriment of police and and how they're being dealt with um or from the perception of the people and so that's something and, and that the military militarization of the police too right i mean a lot of that came out from the what was it the bank robbery in la i forgot what year it was the two guys that were like completely up armored and yeah and carrying automatic rifles like how many Bank robberies, have you seen like that since then? Or, or, you know, you haven't seen that. But that's always an excuse to to continue to mil- militarize the police and give them, you know, this uh, uh, surplus military equipment. What is it, the 10, 1033 program? I always forget what it is, uh, what the name is, 1037, 1033, uh, the one where they can get surplus military equipment. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. But, it. yeah, I, I, I – What's the need for that? Most police departments have their own special response teams, like the NYPD has ESU, Emergency Services Unit. Mm-hmm. And they're specifically trained for a lot of those things. You know, there's no need to... Have to the general have that, Yeah, have the general police, which in the NYPD, that doesn't happen. But in a lot of these smaller departments, you have that. A lot of these smaller, uh, smaller county and, and town police have a ton of military equipment they don't need. Like, how many yeah. towns have an MRAP that they don't need? I mean, seriously, how many IEDs are you going to have to worry about in, in, in your little podunk town in wherever <laughs> South South USA? Seriously. It, like, it reminds me of, of a meme I saw a couple years ago. It's like, if you listen to Fox News, you know, the jihadists are coming to blow up your Dairy Queen in podunk, North Carolina. 
or not North yeah. Carolina, North Dakota. But it's just like nobody's coming from the Midwest. But you've got all these people just prepping, and they're like, they're yeah. coming for us. It's just like no, they're, they're they're really not. They're coming for our cornfields, man. You know, it's like really they want the freedom in my cornfields. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> but I I have a question from from the chat real quick for you, and then cool. um, I'm going to give you the floor to to wrap us up. Um, some municipalities this is from Tom Kaler. Uh, some municipalities have been caught shortening the duration of the caution yellow on the stoplights. Um, do you have any experiences with that? No. Uh, when I was in the NYPD, we had nothing to do with traffic lights. That was all set by the city, by the Department of Transportation. Uh, I maybe in some of the smaller areas uh, outside of municipal, uh, you know, large cities, that might be a thing. But from my experience, um, I mean, I'm not, and I won't say that it hasn't happened in other cities. I just know that from from the NYPD standpoint, we didn't have any control. Like we we didn't have yeah. access to the boxes. We couldn't open them up and change the patterns or anything like that. You know, people need to realize that in a lot of big cities, the patterns are there for a reason. They study flows of traffic, and they don't want Sometimes. people having access to those boxes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, seriously, I mean. If if you can, if you throw off a pattern in a place like New York City, you can oh, end yeah. up creating a really bad traffic. Oh, and yeah. trust me, they don't want just anybody having keys to those boxes. Um, so yeah, you know that that was something that we never had access to. Um, but I, I'm not saying that it can't happen in a small town somewhere or or in a you know in a in a smaller city, you know, uh, with you know where the sheriffs might have that. I don't know. Uh, it's possible, though. I would never say never. Yeah. But I would and, say in, in a big city, though, it's probably really less likely that that happened. Definitely. And and with that, so I agree, like, that municipalities want to, usually it's like a DOT or somebody who's setting up those the, the flow of traffic and everything else. They look at a lot of things. They're, they're supposed to. And we have actually one uh, road here in, in uh, the upstate of South Carolina that they did – the, the guy was drunk that day. He was just like, whatever. <laughs> there is no flow either way on an incredibly busy road. So if you go anywhere two hours plus or minus on any of the rush hour times, it is the worst road to go on. But there are so many businesses. There's malls. There's there's uh, Best Buy. There's Target. There's you know food. There's everything on this road. So you're kind of stuck going on this terrible road. And everybody knows which road I'm talking about if you're in the upstate of South Carolina. Um because they just didn't care. And so every – I heard this question so many times during the sheriff's debate um, as they were campaigning. They were like, can you guys change, like, the, the flow of traffic on this road? And they were like, that's that's not us. It's just like we yeah. can't really change that. And 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 so I, it's it's important that we do know where, the, where that importance is or who has that ownership um, because we need those. Um, we need a good flow of traffic, right? If you have a heavy inflow coming from one area, you want them to be able to go through, distribute, and disperse throughout wherever they're trying to go in a in a in a healthy manner. And you want to allow for for other traffic to flow as well. And so there's so many different things um, that goes into that. Um, and and I just did a quick Google, and it says between three to six seconds. I heard a thumb rule that basically it's going to be um, at least one second for every ten, starting at three seconds. So at thirty miles per hour you're going to have three seconds 40 four, uh six six so um 
hopefully there's some validity to that i've heard that as a thumb rule of course with every thumb rule out there i before e except after c except for all of these other exceptions um so so don't come at me if my thumb rule is off but um i want to thank you joe for for coming on tonight and i want to know if you have any last big thoughts, any big things that you would uh, be sad if you didn't share with uh, the Mr. America, the Beard of Truth, and the Muddy Waters crowd um, tonight, if there's anything you want to share with us. Uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, I've had a great time with our chats on Clubhouse and all that stuff, too, um, which is what led to this. Uh, but just um, essentially, just remember that cops are, are people, too, uh, that government policing isn't going anywhere anytime soon i know i'm repeating myself but no you're good you know, this is, i just want to hammer these this are home. these are great highlights these are much yeah. needed you know government policing isn't going anywhere for as much as i'd like to see private policing it's not happening anytime soon so let's try to talk to in in good faith to law enforcement to try to get them to understand why enforcing victimless crimes is a bad thing it's not a good thing and it doesn't really help the community at all and as far as any law enforcement that might be watching this, just remember, you should be held to a higher standard. You have, you, know, you have the authority of the government behind you. You have a firearm. You have the ability not only to take somebody's freedom away, but to also end their life. And that could come through uh, uh, you know, a really bad decision on your part. And you should really know the laws, too, because uh, I've seen too many cops on film uh, you know, say, hey, I told you to get away from you because I said so. That's not the law. You know what I mean? Uh, so learn the law. Um, try not to intimidate people just because you have a badge. But those guys, I don't have any respect for. If you need to intimidate people just because, you know, maybe you got your ass kicked in, high, in junior junior high school or high school, and now you got a badge and you think you're a tough guy. You're not really a tough guy. You're just yeah. abusing your authority. Uh, but also, you know, just... Just like Jason said, man, just let's treat everybody like human beings. Uh, and we might be able to get somewhere. Because just remember, too, that, you know, cops aren't the ones that write the laws, right? It, it's it's some guy or gal in a suit somewhere in, in, in your local town, um, in your county, in the state house, or, or up in D.C. that are writing a lot of these laws. Uh, but if we can convince them to, to stop enforcing some of these really crappy ones, you know, we, we could be a little more free. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. I appreciate it. And, uh, I want to thank you for, for coming on tonight. I've, I've been excited for it since I met you and, and you plug something that I try to plug every time. And I have yet to plug this entire 11 shows that have been back. And that was of course the clubhouse. So if you guys have not gone on the clubhouse, make sure you guys get over there, check it out, join in, lean into that. Um, uh, if I could do a couple a couple quick more plugs, of course, you guys want to become Muddy Waters subscribers. So the low, low price of $9.99 a month, you guys can help Muddy Waters uh, dreams become a reality, help support us, and you guys will be getting exclusive content. Um, and so make sure you guys get over to anchor.fm slash Muddy Waters 
slash subscribe help out join in you're going to get exclusive content from spike from matt from myself and the muddy waters team so we're going to keep growing pumping out great content for you and you guys may be able to see more from joe as well uh, maybe we'll be able to get some highlight stuff um, from our clubhouse conversations and everything else as as time progresses on forward so if you guys are finding guests that we're having on my show on spike show on matt's show you guys may be able to find more exclusive content there. So just lean into that as well as plenty of other great stuff coming through the pipeline on that. Um, and then also make sure you guys are going over to muddywatersmedia.com. Muddywatersoffreedom.com. Sorry. Muddywatersoffreedom.com slash store. And you can get your Muddy Waters merch. And you can look great while supporting the crew. Um, but Joe, I want to thank you once again for hopping on tonight. It was an absolute pleasure. I know you've been busy. I know we've all been busy. And um always excited to talk with you man love you even if you are from yankee carolina keep doing great things <laughs> up there and uh hopefully you guys will be able to catch us in waffle houses one day but <laughs> yep. but with that i hope you have a great night and i hope you and the audience have a great night as well and i love you guys and i will see you guys back here next monday and until then tuesday night muddy bars of freedom with matt spike wednesday with spike on my fellow americans thursday with writer's block and then friday with cajun and eskimo libertarians we have from bayous to igloos so great week uh to come through and next week we're gonna keep on pumping out the great stuff so stay tuned guys come back we'll see you guys soon and thank you and love you guys and see you guys next week good night everybody